0: Ta one everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, along with Jimmy and Stevie co-hosting tonight. It's the uh, Monday evening after a long holiday weekend, which involved spending a lot of time on a roof for me, replacing a skylight. But uh, it's done, yay! And it rained Sunday and it didn't leak, double yay! Anyway, let's make this quick, because Grant talked a lot. Hard to believe, isn't it? So, two things. We talk about uh, the race, how much you like that, and uh, where the headquarters is going to be, so to speak, and where it's going to start. And he wouldn't spill. He said he'd tell me, but I didn't want to know. Anyway. I think that the headquarters is going to be in Manchester, New Hampshire. Probably not a big guess. Um, And I think the race is going to start in Lake Winnipesaukee. I think I said that right, just from what he said. Anyway, in two days, apparently, we will know. June 1st, registration opens. um, And it sounds like it's going to be... Epic, so to speak. And the only other thing, you have to wait until this brief commercial announcement. This year's Maine Summer Adventure Race is coming up on Saturday, June 24th. It's designed to give participants a unique opportunity to explore the beautiful mid-coast region by boat, bike, and foot in a single day. This year's 10-hour race is one of only two races in New England designated as a qualifier for the 2017 USARA National Championship, and the first-place team in the Premier Division will earn a $400 race credit for the championship. A simultaneous three-hour race is designed to be a fun introduction to the sport and will feature a special family division this year. Hosted by the members of Strong Machine Adventure Racing, all proceeds from the race benefit the Mid Coast Conservancy, a land conservation and environmental education nonprofit. Registration closes on Friday, June 2nd, so hurry up. For more information or to register, show, see the uh, show notes and go to mainsummerar.com. And thanks for listening. So Grant said we should have a little contest for some uh, Untamed New England swag, and he suggested likes and reviews. It's not iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts, but it doesn't really matter. So I have a trivia question. The uh, first person that gets a hold of me, let's say, let's use my, uh, my own regular... Facebook page because that tends to get through faster Um, we'll win whatever grant goodies Grant has for you Um, who was uh, Paulette's two teammates when she did the race in 2010 I hope that's right I'm pretty sure Primal Quest is 09 she got hurt in 11 so maybe it was 11, 10 or 11 whichever year that was Moose Alley, whatever year that was Anyway, if you know or if you're really internet savvy and uh, can find it or I think it's actually been talked about a couple of times on the podcast, uh, win some swag. So that's enough of this. Let's get on with Grant because it was fun. I say that a lot, but it was really fun. So Go fast, take chances, and thanks for listening. This is Grant. Hey, Mr. Killian. This is Randy.
1: Hey, Randy. Can you hear me okay? <laughs>
0: yes, actually, you sound really good.
1: <laughs> really good? That's high praise. Well, I'll it to, is. I'll have to mute the hockey game. Oh, who's... So you don't get any background noise. You know, who's winning? No one. It's tied in the third period. Oh, well... If, game seven.
0: If uh, you let out a big scream, that that's, is okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are things going?
0: Um, Pretty good. You know, I'm uh, being a single parent for a couple of months with with all the critters, so that's uh, being a little challenging, but we're surviving, Paul, it's in...
1: That's responsibility, though. If you if you got, I don't know, if your car breaks down or if you go overnight somewhere, unexpected something happens, right? Yeah. You've got to get home.
0: Yeah, it is, so... Although, Chili, the dog's always with me, so... And the birds can handle it for a day if they had to. But, yeah, a lot of, lot of feeding because they eat really well. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: now, Paulette, she's uh, she's in medicine, right? As yeah. A travel, like, doctor?
0: Well, she's a nurse practitioner, so she took a – she's been talking about it for a while about traveling just because her – you know, she has her own clinic, and it's just kind of been wearing on her. It's a lot of work for no money. Oh. Um
1: so really so she runs like her own like practice yeah. kind of there
0: family practice clinic um you know and it's just her you know she has a part-time receptionist but no nurse you know so she has to do it all billing and coding and you know it's just a nightmare to run a small you know small businesses are a nightmare and then you add medicine and healthcare that's uh
1: Oh yeah that's I mean <laughs> I work in the software side of that and yeah, absolutely. It's not built for not built for speed or efficiency, that's for sure. No. And one person. Yeah. So she can go take a contract that's fixed duration, fixed price, and uh gets to see a different part of the world and
0: Yeah. She's actually yeah. Yeah. actually working on a small reservation for Indian Health Service. And her her clinic where she's at is like six hundred feet from the ocean, from the Pacific and Yeah. You know, she walks out of there at five o'clock and she's done for the day. So,
1: and what, she's in where in the northwest?
0: Um, it's Washington State. It's near west of Aberdeen, Washington, so west of Olympia. So just uh-huh. outside okay. the Olympia National Forest, and
1: so holy cow, that's gorgeous. I bet
0: she's having a good time. She's a she's already like, well, how do I? Do I want to go back here or try somewhere else?
1: <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think
0: she's liking it. So, so, so no, we're that's surviving.
1: Good. That's good. And as far as the adventure racing stuff, you've been able to, uh, it seems like every, uh, I don't know, few months at least, find an event to, to go off to and cover. Yeah. I'm trying to catch up on some of the other podcasts because I've kind of unplugged for several years yeah. there. but. Sounds like you're you're still going great, which is cool.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's you know this year nothing so far. You know last year I traveled to you know six countries. I was I was gone for two months, um, but well, when she gets back in July, I leave. Like she gets home ten days later, I leave uh, going to Vermont with Team Forty Fifty for a week. And then it's Cowboy Tough, and then it's not Primal Quest. <laughs> so.
1: Uh, right, yeah. shoot, you were planning to head out there to Vancouver? Yeah,
0: yeah, so that. But um, then the thing is, not adventure racing, but I'm kind of excited, is I'm going to go uh, with the team to the Baja 1000 this year in November, cover that. So off-road truck well, racing. that would be fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah. So, so um, you're... <laughs> 151 episodes since you were on last time.
1: <laughs> Is that right? You, you
0: were my third. Wow.
1: I can't believe... My hat goes off to you, man. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. You were my third guest. You were my third uh, guinea pig. And if people think it's not professional now, they go back and listen to that one. It's really not professional.
2: <laughs>
1: Well I know a couple of people had tried to do some podcasts myself included like one or two and the technology it's not particularly hard but it does take that tenacity so well, good can, for you figuring it out yeah, and sticking with it
0: I mean it's it's not hard but it you know it takes you know what we probably sent 15 emails back and forth to set up a time which isn't a big deal but that happens a lot <laughs> So, oh, I'm
1: sure. and, and yeah, finding time sure. that
0: works for everybody and, and uh, yeah, so and, and it kind of goes in cycles because there'll be sometimes when it's like, yeah, nobody wants to talk and uh, then you get times like this, like I've got I think four four interviews waiting. so
2: oh
1: wow. But, you know, that you've already recorded? Yeah. Or that you're waiting? No, that I've recorded. Oh, I see. And, and what will happen Cause is... Because this one's kind of time-sensitive.
0: And that's what happens because I did one, um, you know, like when there's a race, if I can get somebody that's been to the race, um, you know, get a little recap on that, I'll put them up to the head of the line. and Yeah, and ours is, yeah. is time-sensitive, so we're recording this one week before you're... You're official, so it'll come out on Tuesday. So, um,
1: yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, it it, it works yeah.
0: good. But sometimes I have to, you know, let people know, apologize that it's taken a month to get their interview on, but eh, life goes on for us, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think just the the service that you're doing for the community is great. And do you have like? I heard you in one podcast say you have one review on iTunes. Yeah, and that's mine. Yep, <laughs> like we got a. We got a. Are we recording now? Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, we just.
1: Oh okay. Well, I was going to say because we can donate some like untamed shirts or something else. Like, you pick a name out of whoever puts a review in there in the next month or so. Just let us know, and we'll send it out. Okay. To
0: them. I, I actually, I have a trivia question. I'll ask later, and we'll do it for that. You know, it, it's funny because I kind of the podcast has reached its audience and and i mean it's it's between 800 and a thousand listeners a week um and, and that's and that's how big it's going to be just because that's that's our market so um i kind of quit yeah, that's worrying about it
1: that's uh, <laughs> i was <laughs> i mean i've had so many of the same type of conversation really over the last months but like the listeners on the podcast here this is the uh the audience who already know yeah. you know they know about adventures and they kind of get it right yep. and um it's unlikely that anyone's going to get past like the first maybe five or ten minutes mm-hmm. just looking for another podcast while they're out on their ride or run or yeah. whatever which is too bad but yeah we do have to figure out some other ways to reach out yeah. broaden that base so yeah hopefully we're able to to do some of that through our race but um and interesting to see that you've observed that also, yeah. Just with the podcast,
0: and it is funny. Like when I do uh, somebody from New Zealand, um, there's a website there that'll put it out, and it'll spike the numbers. Um, sometimes, sometimes double and triple even. Like, like a Nathan Fave podcast is usually triple what anybody else is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm so, sure. So. Oh boy, now the pressure's on. Yeah, right? we gotta like we're to uh, be. Uh, be provocative or entertaining, or, or something. Unfortunately, Nathan's a much better racer than I am. Well,
0: he's also kind of a funny guy, oh, which surprises yeah. me. Well, not anymore, but when I first started chatting with him, so.
1: Oh really? I think that's a Kiwi thing. I'm, I'm not. I don't know yeah. many that are like stoic.
0: Yeah, um, but he looks stoic. I mean, that's it. it. He he doesn't he doesn't fit the way he looks. I think. So,
1: and <laughs> I, I guess my memory. The last time I saw him was probably Costa Rica at the World Championships there. Now, God, five, four years four ago, four years ago, yeah. When you were helping me out with those tracking devices, <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I mean, you've seen probably this pattern all the time, but like they're just a machine yeah. when they come into a transition area. Uh, but he actually like almost like made a conscious effort to kind of stand up and take a break and went over and talked to the media there. Um, which I think you see like very rarely. Yeah. Uh, the top teams would invest any effort or energy that's not in getting them further to the finish line.
0: Yeah, that's so, very true. Yeah. Like,
1: I think there's some perspective there. There's there's more beneath that surface. Um, and it's probably true for a lot of uh, a lot of athletes, but I definitely appreciated that. So,
0: yeah, Nathan's he's just. Um, he's just a good person. He keeps kind of keeps me in the loop. Loop of some of the stuff he's doing. Just you know, I'll get an email, random email, and say, "Hey, this is what we're doing." So he's still a, a good ambassador for the sport.
1: So um, have you been down to New Zealand for Godzone or um, last? XTD?
0: Yeah, last year I went. So it was a. It's. I don't know how to explain it. You, oh, I I know exactly how to explain it. It's untamed on steroids. <laughs> and I mean that in the best oh, way. That, yeah. Because your race yeah. is so f- well done. The people love it. Um, it. It just has this cachet. But then, you know, you double or triple the size. in you know, in New Zealand, everywhere I went in New Zealand, if I had a, a God's own shirt on or my credentials, I mean, the cashiers at the grocery store knew about the race and asking about it. You no, know. Mhm. but it's, it's a very, well, I, um, yeah, family oriented sort of.
1: <laughs> well, New Zealand, like we traveled there maybe now 10 years ago and it was kind of, from what I understand, like the way maybe traveling in the U S was in the fifties where like you could hitchhike and anybody would give you a ride and uh, just like, there's an innocence there. Um, I don't know how they've managed to keep it, but, yeah. um, whether it's all that organic farming or something, <laughs> they're doing something right in the natural beauty. I mean, you can ski in the morning and go ca- ocean kayaking in the evening. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's remarkable, tough to beat. Yeah, and
0: um, it's a pretty yeah, it's a cool place. I'd like, to, hopefully, maybe I'll get to go back next year. So we'll we'll yeah. see. Hey, well, Warren, yeah, you know, Warren keeps saying, "Yeah, well, right? we'll have you come." And it's like, yeah, then we know what happens, but. You know. Uh, we should probably just talk about uh, what that, whatever that race is called that you're putting on next year. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been uh, incubating yeah. for three and a half years, I guess.
0: Why? Why now?
1: Um, why now? That's you know, I probably should have a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, just felt like it was uh, the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I. My daughter, um, so she's six now, uh, going on seven, and so when we last did the race, she was three, and I think there's an independence that kids start to get once they start to get a little older, um, and I can include her a little more in some of what I'm doing. So it's not so much, Daddy's going to go away for a week, yeah. <laughs> and I'll send you uh, send you a picture or two from out in the woods. Instead, it's like, oh, she could actually you know come and help out, or I can uh, combine time with her with doing stuff with the race, so I didn't feel like this was such a sacrifice as it was with a younger child,
0: so,
1: on the one hand. Yeah. Then professionally, also, I've been able to spend a lot of the last couple of years focusing just on like my, quote, real job, mm-hmm. which was good, it gets me to a good, like stable place, and so now I can kind of take the foot off that gas pedal a little bit yeah. and spend a little more energy um, on, on a race, and knowing kind of what's involved with that, that it took a little... I think for me to talk myself back into it, um, and then maybe more specifically, I think it was last fall when Jason Erkfitz Fitz um, reached out to me about competing at the World Championships, or it was some other race. But he wanted as uh, Team Unteen New England because he had raced with Dave Lamb, and um, he'd been competing as the Unteen New England team for you know several years. Yeah. But he just reached out, hey, you know, he's putting a team together and wanted to use the name. Would would I be okay with it? I was like, oh, that was really nice of him. That was cool, um, and we went back and forth just a little bit um, about it and then I also almost in the same week got an inquiry from another uh, friend here in the New Hampshire area who was like hey like let's try and put a six hour race together or a 12 hour race together and for me, like the effort involved in doing a small race like that, it's it's almost mm-hmm. the same as putting in a big race. But a big difference is with a bigger race, you can charge enough money to be able to justify all that effort, and you can have a budget that can make the race work. Whereas making ends meet with a hundred dollar per racer entrance fee is really tough. Yeah. Um, so you get those economies of scale with a larger race, um, and plus there's kind of been a couple different parts of this course that have been in the back of my mind for several years. So, uh, some of, some of those inquiries kind of came back, uh, like positive and, um, it just seemed like, okay, like, I guess this is all starting to happen. And I didn't pay any attention to where the like race calendar was like for next summer. It was more just for our own, like what, what schedule would make sense for us. Mm -hmm. And we needed a full moon, um, for some other stuff. (laughs) So It's a full moon late July, um, next year. And, uh, uh it's a, a busy time uh for New England it's like you know peak tourist season, and usually we try and stay either early or a little bit after those kind of activities, but not for this time around. Yeah. so
0: well, you almost picked a bad time <laughs> so cause... yeah
1: yeah there's a a raid in France that's at that time or close
0: well um no, I don't care about anybody else I mean specifically for me. Because I think, um, well, Paulette's going to do the Transpirities again next year, and I think I'm going to go shoot it. And that race starts the first of July, or first of August. Oh, okay. But I see. That means I can go to Untamed, finish that on the 28th, fly from Boston to France on the 29th, and it's all cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're
1: halfway there. I, well, I, perfect. Oh, okay. I thought. Yeah. I thought you were having to cover another race. Um, that- uh, for some reason, I thought it was France, but uh, I guess the Pyrenees is almost France. Yeah, right? well,
0: the race runs based literally on the uh, the border between France and Spain. It's right through the Pyrenees, so I guess if she's dumb enough, okay, that'll I'll be an awesome.
1: Yeah. Awesome race,
0: yeah. I'll <laughs> go this next time. Hopefully, that works out
1: anyway. So, and she's all into the ultra running scene.
0: Um, it's kind of more no, because she doesn't run, but. She likes things that take for 16 days to do
1: <laughs> uh-huh, okay
0: Jimmy's gonna Jimmy's gonna sing now um, you know she did Tahoe 200 a couple years ago and it's just like it's almost like adventure racing without teams without a team because you just have to mm-hmm. keep moving and it's just on foot but um, it, it just really suits her and, and that background in adventure racing you know it's like multiple days i'm cool with that so you know she just gets out there and just keeps moving it works good for her
1: yeah everything else is easy by comparison
0: well yeah that's what we would joke it's like you're on a marked course and they've got you know trails and they've got aid stations it's like how hard can that be (laughs) uh yep yep so good for her well after 14 after the last race did you think you were going to do
1: another one? Um, you know, I don't know, yeah. honestly. I probably subconsciously just knew eventually yeah. <laughs> I would do another one. But whenever I finish, like, one of those races, because for us it's not – it's never been, like, a like a business plan that's well put together. Yeah. And that's – like, I'm a terrible uh, about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in hindsight, like, we started our first race in 20 – or no, 2004. And if I knew at the time, you know, that maybe 15 years later, we'd still be doing events, I for certain would have invested in like a set of Necky Amaruk tandem kayaks or something, yeah. because by now we would have more than <laughs> made up the difference in what we pay when we rent boats yeah. from here and there. And um, So if I really was had, had my act together, we would have <laughs> uh, done the gone about it a little differently, yeah. I bet. But I think by the same token that – what's the word I'm thinking of? Mm. (laughs) I don't want to make it sound like it's like fly-by-night, because that's not it. It's definitely deliberate, but uh, that flexibility, I guess, uh, it it gives us, you know, the flexibility where, hey, you know, we didn't do it for three years because it just didn't fit with what we were doing. And so there's no guarantee that it's going to be an annual thing past this, uh, mostly because we just aren't thinking that far down the road. I think, like, so there was a, uh, well, Scott, Pleban had that uh, accident a number of years ago, uh, training for a race. And there was another uh, pretty good friend of mine, um, Chad Denning, who also, he um, uh, died on a, a mountain run over here, um, I guess now about two years ago. And uh, I feel like that like such a like inspiration in some ways because like we all go around life thinking it's permanent, right? And thinking, Oh, you know, the next time around I'll do this or the next time around I'll do that. But at some point, like for all of us, there's not going to be a next time. And I think, uh, there's some, I don't know, there's something about that that just drives me to, to, to make the most of the time that I am doing it and to not sweat too much. Yeah. What's going to happen because eventually there won't be a next time. And there is going to be a next, okay. <laughs> a next time now, next summer, but who knows, right? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't have to put pressure on yourself to say, I'm going to do it every year now. It's like, if I want to do it, another one I will. If I don't, if I want to wait two years, that's cool too, right?
1: Yeah, in some ways, I think it's like a dangerous, like I'm a dangerous <laughs> quantity because in talking with some of these other race organizations, I feel for them because – like, honestly, I, I don't care so much if my race happens to be at the same time as another one. Like, obviously, I'm trying to be a good cooperative partner, and I've been in touch with a lot of uh, very uh, friendly people about their schedules for next year. Um, but like, we're not in it to make money, and we're kind of trying to make the best event we can. And if that means we need to do it at a certain time, we're going to do it at a certain time. And I can feel like if somebody did have like their livelihood re- like revolving around it, like that would be a pretty crappy <laughs> competitor <Yeah. laughs> to try and work with. Not that – I mean, this is a small community. Um, and it's competition maybe with a lowercase c, mm-hmm. not an uppercase. So it's not Pepsi against Coca-Cola. This is all pretty friendly stuff here. But – um, it kind of liberates us yeah. <laughs> to do and say things like I, like you talk about eco challenge, I think on some of these pod, podcasts, yeah. like it's almost a religious like experience, but my personal, like, I don't know, eco challenge was like WWF wrestling. And what we do is like real wrestling, like in the Olympics. And so yeah. there's similarities, like one is an entertainment thing, which is eco challenge. And at least for those of us who watch it on TV, but for those who actually experience it in person there, it's a race, but you don't really, if you're watching it on TV, you don't really get that. You get this, you know, made-for-TV, digested, you know, prepackaged drama. Um, So, I'm sorry. I don't want to get off on too many philosophical tangents.
0: No, that's... I I love philosophical tangents, even even though I think you spell philosophical with an F. But... um, (laughs) Do do you think that... Very open-ended question, but do you think a real race could be on TV... Without, with, um, you know, a big question, yeah, I know. I mean,
1: so you know Russell Walters, yep. right, up in Northern Outdoors? Yep. You know, he'd be not a bad guy to get on your podcast if you're ever at a loss for people because he worked with a, a couple years of Eco Challenge very early, um, so that first kind of trial event they did in Maine um, and some additional ones. Um, and in talking with him, uh, it really crystallized for me how Eco Challenge was a television show. Mm-hmm. and we've built this race around it. Kind of like, did you ever watch Mad Max beyond Thunderdome? Yep. This is now some serious 1980s <laughs> <laughs> pop culture, mm-hmm. but there's this scene when like Mad Max sees like all the kids getting a lecture from like an older kid who's passing down the legend of how like the world, like, uh, the world was scorched or burned and it's like an, like nuclear bomb that came down and, uh, we're supposed to kind of infer all this, but they build it up into this, like almost a mythology. I feel like, uh, the way that, uh, that way, that's gotten passed down, and it's been kind of massaged and blown out of proportion, or certain things have been kind of uh, ironed or uh, smoothed away. Mm-hmm. Is kind of how we're looking back now with, at the TV show. That yeah. um, I think for those who experienced it in person, it's a different thing for sure. But for those of us on TV, we're like inspired by it, and that's awesome. Yeah. But to to recreate that, like if we were to try and do that with eco with uh, with uh, Untamed New England, because we've looked into it. I mean, the budget for helicopters, I mean, that alone, and you could do a lot with drones still, but just the staffing and the the post-production, and I mean, it would be phenomenally expensive at a point, like our race budget's around $120,000, and that's like, I don't know, a day or two's worth of professional shooting um, for a TV show like that, and there's like, I think Survivor's on that, like, season 30 or 40 now, Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's not, there's a, like, the Kiko Challenge kind of evolved into this now survivor ish thing where it's, oh, we don't have to have people that move. Instead, they stay in the same place. And, you know, well, what if instead of going to this hard to reach plot spot, we can actually put cameras there and we don't have to move them again? Um, and when people drop out, instead of having to shuttle them four days across, like, Fiji, why don't we just take them to the other side of the island where we can put a trailer and they can stay there? It sounds like I've watched an awful lot of Survivor, but I really haven't. <laughs> but I did watch, I think, like, that first uh, season or two, so that's my. What, yeah. what i'm thinking back to but uh, i think filming uh, an adventure race the way we know the sport to the degree that eco challenge dump would be very expensive yeah. um, and i think you would have to come at it from a tv production value first and if that's your your angle i feel like there's a lot better investments sadly like if you're going to spend a million dollars on a show you end up with something kind of like the what uh, morocco uh like a stage race that's about yeah. as close as you could probably get because people moving twenty four seven people move fast and um, yeah. even tired people yeah it can be tough to corral them and get into to where they go and like some but it happens I think probably now but maybe less because of social media and tracking devices and things but teams used to like get rides in cars uh, there used to be all sorts of shenanigans yeah. not to say that there still aren't but it's <laughs> a little harder like now a, yeah uh, <laughs> it is I think a little harder now but I think that you you maybe be stunned to learn how some of these uh uh teams that we kind of idolize maybe have made it yeah. <laughs> to these certain locations in the course I and mean, not because they're not bad athletes it's just because it suited the narrative mm-hmm. that was being told or whether they turned a blind eye or their support group put little flags to help lead them away little breadcrumbs that sort of stuff i mean that that was rampant um back in what we consider the heyday okay. yeah. so so i don't want...
0: well i think you know they tried with that last um, race in Morocco that was on TV. What did, I don't remember what they call it. And what, I, what I've put together over the years is that actually was going to be a real r- adventure race. And then at the last minute, they got the gay firefighters and the mother and the father and the daughter teams.
1: That blind guy, huh? Yeah. That guy was blind. Yeah. That was amazing.
0: Yeah. To,
1: like, yeah. Yeah,
0: because there's been a handful of racers that I've talked to. In fact, Paulette and Katie and, and Margie were like days from going to L.A. for uh, an interview. And then all of a sudden the whole focus of the th- thing changed. And there's
1: That's right. They did like a casting call for, for teams. Yeah. I, I remember that going out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they were real teams. I mean, that's what they were looking for. And, and then it became a soap opera. <laughs>
1: Right. They decided, wait a second, we don't want people that are comfortable being uncomfortable, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, that can handle it. We want people who are uncomfortable because that that's going to sell, I don't know, yeah. Axe body spray <laughs> or whatever the commercials are. And that's yeah. what the TV shows are built around. It's trying, you know, yeah. they want to ensure an audience that will look at the ads. And exactly. I think that's changing, right, with the Internet. And the, I yeah. mean, it's a revolutionary time that we live in, but who knows in 20 years but yeah. what we're going to – even B, we'll have like little heads-up displays, retinal images overlaid on our eyes. So we'll know, like every GPS location we've ever been to, we can call it up, like uh, just subconsciously. Yeah. Um, well, who knows what the yeah. sport will even look like?
0: I I get a kick, you know. We did that live broadcast at the last race, and in mm-hmm. how much gear and in how hard it was to get the signal out, and and you know, Joel working there on the internet. You know, a minute before we went on. And now you do that with your iPhone. <laughs> you do that yeah, whole thing. Whole yeah, you're thing. absolutely right. <laughs> so, um, so I suppose we should talk about the race a little bit, <laughs> but I'm having fun. Yeah,
1: sorry. I, I, no, no, no. I'm having many, way, like, more,
0: uh, way more fun doing this. <laughs> but so that, I don't know, what is a month or so ago when, you know, kind of this cryptic thing came out and then you know there's a couple of things we put out over facebook and stuff and did it surprise you how much um interest there was like in that very first day with just those little hints
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it totally totally did I, i would love to say this was all like a premeditated marketing plan that clay abney had helped me <laughs> you know devise like time this and time that because in hindsight it actually worked out really well but uh, first off, I had no idea people use Facebook a shitload oh man. yeah like like that's huge like i had I had logged into Facebook in years. <laughs> and I posted something on Twitter and I think I got like one like on it. I'm like, Oh boy, like, well, maybe this isn't such a, you know, maybe things have moved on. Let's, uh, let's reevaluate. And then I think I did that maybe on a Thursday and then it was a Friday. Where I was like, Oh, I wanted to post this uh, to Facebook. So I'll put it there and see. And if not, I was going to say, well, maybe we try Instagram or I don't know, friend face, whatever the other ones yeah. are. Um, but the Facebook thing, maybe our timing was good or, or yeah. maybe you helped us amplify it out or, or whatever. But, Definitely got a lot of uh, uh, traction, so I was surprised, uh, pleasantly so. And so that—that's sort of a, when you're not in it for the money, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing it for the satisfaction. And like that's why we started planning races was because it was a chance to hang out with our friends, mm-hmm. and we thought we could do um, a, a better job than some of these other races at the time. That like you show up for the race check-in, and there's like a note written on a piece of paper that's like on the table saying "come back tomorrow morning." Sorry. <laughs> Um, like really kind of not sketchy but just like like poor attention to detail and we're like well shoot we can definitely do better than this um, and in doing so we also thought oh this is a great way we can connect with friends we made a ton of friends like um, throughout the mid-atlantic and, and beyond and living over in in Europe too uh, so we, we feel like we, we we already know that network and so a race is a chance for us to bring those folks together like Jose from Portugal mm-hmm. I haven't seen him in a couple of years but this is going to be a great chance to reconnect with him and um I don't want to keep like dwelling on like the the bigger picture and like our, our our the limited time we have on the planet, but doing things like doing things that are cool with your friends, like that's 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 important, and that's the sort of stuff when you know you're looking back on your life, you wish you did probably more of rather than oh I wish I would have really you know done more work projects or if I if I could only get that PowerPoint you know to line up better. The mundane stuff we do in life, yeah. um, it's routine, is not so special, but the chance to like connect with friends and. Um, uh build these like lasting experiences like i think it's uh it's super important so that's uh that's what got us in it to begin with and and seeing that oh hey this is still something that there's some passion for and even though i'm sure there's plenty of racers that have moved on uh since uh certainly since we started doing <laughs> racing we've almost maybe seen a full turnover since like 2004 and 2005 yeah. Uh, there are still some though, um and so hopefully we'll see them next summer and we'll see new ones and we're gonna work hard. Um, one thing we probably need to do a better job of is reaching out to newer teams to kind of bridge the gap, and that's a fine uh fine point to walk yeah because we don't want people to show up like in cut off blue jeans and cotton t- shirts. And, uh, you know, a straw hat, like, all right, like, bring it on, let's go do this. Uh, so you want people to show up prepared, but you also don't want to overstate it and make it sound like this is not an achievable thing. Like an amateur just walking in to try the race is going to have a terrible experience. Like that's, that's, it's not true or unless you're really unfit. Um, so we were going to hopefully build like an on-ramp for teams and we're working with, um, action first, actually Sarah Goldman, I yep. think she yep. did an interview with you, yep. um, earlier this year so she's um going to work with us to to help put together some training insight for those that are either you know new to untamed new england or new to the sport in general so that we can uh build a little bit more like comfort or familiarity or make it less intimidating to them and um just this evening we posted a update to the, to the site with some question and answers trying to be kind of honest lighthearted about it but frank at the same yeah. time and addressing those people who may not know what they're getting into. And you can only do so much in words. Um, and so I think the key is to not make it out to be this, like, insurmountable task you're going out on. You're going out with your friends. You're going to go have fun in the woods. And if you are not done this sort of thing before, you're probably not going not gonna to do the full course. You may get short course, but that's you know You're still going to have a great time. Um, those are the sorts of things we need to do a better job of emphasizing as a, as a as our race, and it's a way of maybe giving back to the, the racer community as a whole.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the secret is how do we get there. Um, there's actually been this huge thread today about um, Cy Sack, who's been doing a lot of really interesting stuff with adventure racing, said, wrote a little article to cause trouble, as he put it, that adventure racers should just just admit that they're elite and he, and he means not elite us, but you're doing something a little bit. You're doing something that not a lot of people do, so that sort of makes you elite. But anybody can do it. <laughs> so <laughs> so oh. I, 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 I think it's true. I mean, I think racers should embrace the fact that they're different, whether whether that's good or bad. It's but so is that is that something you know you try maybe you look for people and say hey. You're different. Come do something different.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's cool that there's like people out there thinking about different ways to solve this problem. And, I mean, we look at things like, uh, like all those obstacle races, mm-hmm. mud runs, Spartan race. These are events that looked at the same problem from an adventure racing standpoint and morphed into something totally different. To become more appealing to a a wider audience a race that's self-contained it's isolated it's done in an afternoon you get your picture it's easily choreographed um those races um kind of grew out of adventure racing even like octagon sports that used to put on the what i guess it was high tech and became balance bar but the one of the race directors with uh octagon sports marketing I think he was the Muddy Buddy guy and I think Muddy Buddy now has even come and gone but they were like "Oh well kayaking is a pain in the butt to get boats so let's just have a bike and run um and that's how we ended up with that Muddy Buddy series for a few years and they were very successful made a good bit of money um and I think we run a there's a if your goal is to attract a lot of people then I think you end up changing the sport or you run the risk of changing the sport from what we know yeah. and and we meaning I guess me and you <laughs> Randy but um like a sport was significant you know cross-country, like, navigation and real wilderness and um, out-in-the-woods type, uh, what we consider fun, I think you got to be careful um, because the sport's not for everybody. No. And I like the – maybe that article sounds like it's admitted, like, hey, like, do we really want, like, a race with, like, 3,000 people? Because I did some of those, like, high-tech races. And, like, the mountain bike legs, they were walk bikes because you can't – like, the trail system there in Richmond, Virginia, it's an awesome mountain bike ride, but not with 3,000 people. Um, I think our race actually was like a thousand racers. But seriously, you, yeah. you were just walking the bike because all it takes is one person to put a foot down, and then to everyone else because there's no way to pass really. Um, and there was no real navigation; they had arrows to show you the way. And I don't know. I'm not. I personally wouldn't really enjoy doing a race like that. It'd be fun maybe for the experience to see all the uh, like energy of the group. But that's not like a race that I circle on my calendar and make other, you know, cancel other things so I can go and do. No. Um, it's not, it's not, So, I guess, maybe, yeah, to answer your question, maybe, uh, yeah, it's not a sport for everybody. And uh, I think uh, if you're looking for a sport that is more for everybody, I think then you end up with, like, more of a, like, the obstacle races or you go ultra runs. Like, a lot of these things are, you know, organizations that used to do adventure races and that kind of moved on and are still, you know, successful having that kind of in their history. Yeah. Almost like an evolutionary process. Like, we're, we're like the dinosaurs still. Yeah. But we like being dinosaurs, yeah. so
0: yeah, they, they all um, give me to the make lily pads in the
1: swamps. <laughs> Which is fine. That's yeah. great. I mean, yeah. good for them. God bless them. Uh, no, no problem about it. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Morris um, with Spartan Race, he would be a great interview because he, um, I don't know that he was involved with Genesis Adventure Racing there in Connecticut, but he actually did our first Untamed New England um, on a team that, the reason I remember him is they did a video mid-race where they were riding their kayak paddles as if they were like a rented mule, like slapping them <laughs> in. <laughs> uh, and they set it to like the cheesiest 2008 music you can imagine. And mm. they sent it over. It was hilarious. And so, like, we've we've held on to that. And he's like one of the like most senior guys in Spartan. Mm. Um, yeah. Like going all over the maybe even the world. I don't know. Definitely all over the U.S. Mm. organizing these races. But we do correspond once in a while. Um, and it's where he talks about, like, adventure racing that, it, that we know it is like the what he considers real adventure racing, but this is like a mass appeal sort of event that people that are, you know, hardcore athletes too, um, go out and enjoy. And that's uh, how he's making his living, but it's, it's not, uh, it's, not, adventure it's racing. not true, I guess to the, to the sport as we know it. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but it's okay. Yeah. But I think his, I would be very curious to hear his perspective on the business side of it. Yeah. To be honest, you could probably build a whole podcast around like, like exploring that like evolution of adventure racing and where it's, uh, where it's taken. Cause there's so many businesses that are very successful with adventure racing in their past, in the rearview mirror, Mark <laughs> Burnett with the eco, yeah. was, you know, just probably the first one of them.
0: So, um, so what's, what's that tell say about us <laughs> that we're still here, huh? Well, with, with, you know, a passion. Yeah, I, I think I it's mean, we, a passion.
1: Yeah. We like doing epic shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like my friend's got a, uh, a nutrition company in Boulder, Colorado called rad. This is their free plug for anyone yeah. who lasted this far into the talk. <laughs> rad for real athletes diets. And so they go out to, um, like hard rock and they sponsor like Solomon and the other, uh, Brand houses that have their running teams out there, and they provide like like the gluten free, like high energy, uh, well balanced meals um, to these these athletes. But their slogan is "Do epic shit," and
2: mm-hmm. so I've got
1: a hat that's got that on the back, and I don't show it to my daughter because yeah. that's probably not nothing I need to expose her to. But it's perfect because you know that's well, you know that's that's all there is to it yeah. when it comes to adventure base Like people just they want they want to escape from that their computer that they're tethered to, or the meetings, or the phone calls. You know, yeah. having to check your mail, uh, get away as far as you can from that, and and have like some significant life experiences that are unusual. Yeah, and so I feel like that's uh, that's more the adventurous. Thing I know rather than the sporting side of it and collecting points by certain results at certain races. Like, um, I think that's that's fine, but that's not. I don't think that's really the appeal of the, uh, of the sport as a whole.
0: The the people we know think that dragging their canoes through. Through uh, Moose Alley is fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Is that a soundboard you've got there?
0: No, that actually was my phone <laughs> in the background. Oh, that was just
1: so good. The timing. that was, so that was good. pretty good. So Moose Alley—that was a gentle, a gentle portage yeah. that we gave everyone plenty of heads up about. And you know. Um, Gosh, I feel like it's a circular conversation, but Rodney Vilieva mm-hmm. I may be mispronouncing it. In fact, I probably am from Naira. Yep. You're used to with Naira and Amy Bartoletti. Yep. Um, they did that race and they dragged that kayak and they dragged a hole in their kayak for part of that. And after the race, they came to me and uh, said, Hey, we've got to buy, <laughs> buy you a kayak because there's a hole in the one that you gave us because of that portage. And there were, you know, perfectly nice about it and um, I remember that and they're another example where they've gone on and they do corporate challenge type events um, uh, yeah. I'm sure they'd love to do adventure racing but I'm also sure they like to pay bills and put groceries in their refrigerator yeah. so they um, uh, I don't know where they're at now but they're, uh, they're more in, graduates from this adventure racing school hard knocks yeah
0: they're in uh, Philadelphia so they've been on the podcast is, that, what, is yeah, that where they're at now yeah they've been on the podcast
1: <laughs> so, I gotta
0: catch up yeah so um, Literally, the funniest thing I ever heard in adventure racing was at Moose Alley. Uh, I think it was like the last place team came through, and the one guy said, "I will bet you Grant didn't tell the outfitters about this part." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's funny. I will, yeah, if we had our own boats, we wouldn't have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah,
0: I'll uh, I'll put that video. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But so. um, what? what um leg of an untamed has had the most let's say discussion over the years you know you got moose alley you got the abernathy forest um <laughs> so you know what i mean by discussion
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um that's a good question yeah i don't know um I think the pack rafting in 2012, mm. where people I think before then, like pack rafting would be, if it was included in a race, it was like an out and back around a buoy. Mm. Um, and so when we included it, it was um, it was definitely like you couldn't get across Flagstaff Lake without a pack raft. And um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting their name. They came up uh, to the race with Clay, um, Paul Romero, and. Karen Lundgren. Yeah. They were on this, like, U.S. tour because Paul's son had, was the youngest kid to climb Everest or summit Everest. So they happened to be out in the area, and they signed up for the race because they were kind of in New England, and they timed it right. So they showed up. They didn't have a satellite phone, which at the time we required uh, because the satellite beacons hadn't um, developed to the point where we could use them reliably. Um, and we also had pack rafts on them. They were like, pack rafts? And I think they borrowed a couple pack rafts from the team from, uh, like, Bend, Oregon. Uh, yoga sluggers. Yoga Slackers, yeah. Um, and, and so after the race, I remember talking, and uh, Paul Romero, is a, he's a character, my God. Um, he was talking about it, was like, holy cow, like, I, I had no idea like we were going to be you know, doing this and doing that. And, uh, um, and so I, I think after that race, I thought, well, that's probably the most talked about we'll get. But I think that Abenaki lost the world from 2014 um, is probably... Um, maybe the most recent, so that's the one that sticks out the most for me. But you yeah. probably know better because I think if if I'm around, maybe people talk differently. <laughs> or Maybe they talk more. I don't know. Well, what, I, what do you think? I,
0: those two or the um, the year where the the water went down on the pack rafting on the dead on the dead river. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So if you hit it, and and this was new to me that they would basically they shut the dams off when they didn't need electricity. So if you hit the river right, it's no big deal. If you didn't, you'd drag your boat for 20 miles. So.
1: Yeah, we actually um, had a big uh, couple set of meetings with Hydro Quebec, mm-hmm. I think it is, who runs those dams to make sure that during daylight we could get the release because if it's a dry season, like for them, that's just letting money go down the river, yeah. literally. Um, and it worked out that there was enough, I guess the water tables were high enough, and Russell, um, up there at Northern Outdoors, he knows everybody. He's like, I don't know, if he's not the, like, governor of Maine, he's de facto governor of Maine. He knows everybody. He was able to help us work with them to find a way that, okay, yeah, we can do it on this day and this day, but we couldn't do it, like, on a, uh, if we would have moved the race, like, they wouldn't do it on a Sunday because there's some reason, like, Sunday is, like, a fishing day, so you got to have, like, low water allowed for the fly fishermen. Otherwise, they get washed down like Noah's flood. Yeah. Um, so that took a lot of uh, finagling yeah. from an organizational side, but yeah, you're right. That's uh, that was also 2012, the yeah. last packrafting section there.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess my go, my go-to is always Moose Alley, just because I think because I was there and could see it and see how huh. much they you were know suffering. One,
1: <laughs> one that's well, one that's a pretty old school one, 2008. Um, the guys, so it was Team EMS, uh, and they became Team Granite. This is Dave Lamb, Jenny Johnson, Dave Romilly, um, Chad Denning, uh, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, um, and uh, a couple others. I don't know that Jason Erkowitz went with them or not, but anyway, they bushwhacked up to the top of the mountain to the checkpoint with all this two nights of camping stuff. And there's no trail, so they just bushwhacked all the way to the top, set up tent, and they had a fire going, and they cooked baked beans, and they brought, like, cases of Pepsi. I think Dave Romley, who's like a beast, he probably, like, maybe he made more than one trip. I don't know how they did it. But so teams that were completing this trek, like, two or three days into the race, out of nowhere, they see, like, like this light up ahead, and it's a, a couple, of, like, uh, it's like eight adventure racers who are just hanging out, having a party at the top of this mountain in the middle of the woods, no trails. Um, and it's north of Stark, New Hampshire. If you look at a map of Stark, New Hampshire, and like draw a line to the highest summit due north there, that's the peak that they were at. So they're a good mile or two in, um, and I don't know, a couple thousand feet high. Um, those guys were there, and I know a lot of people do talk about it. It's a little old now, almost ten years ago, but that um, I think was was awesome because that was you know this is a race team who was appreciated in the fact that hey. These folks are really working their butts off. Let's do something that's kind of cool, kind of memorable, and I think it fit with where they were at for whatever reason, whether injuries or just their race schedule didn't work for them to compete that year. Yeah. So I, I hold that one in high regard also. that yeah. It doesn't get very much uh, talk, but it, it probably should. It deserves probably more.
0: Yeah. Well, adventure racers always talk about the worst before the best. So <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I, right. I, 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 I ask almost everybody your best and worst six hours, and almost – Everybody comes up with their worst first, so that that tells you something. Um, all right, so with, when people are listening to this, we'll get back to the race a little bit. <laughs> um, you basically go live on June first, right, with the race, although you're kind of like having a soft launch.
1: Um, so yeah, we we are accepting deposits. From teams who opted in to our email list uh, I guess about a month ago we have four four teams that have signed up in that regard uh, but the official site will open registration um, on June 1st and that's when we'll publish like official schedule we've got updates to race disciplines uh, reveal the location for the race uh, base and I should note that that the race location kind of following the model we've done in some of the international races where it's like a central location mm. that's pretty easy to get to um, that they will travel to. I'm going to wait, and maybe I'll let you guess, and then uh, I'll tell you where it is. But um, And then the idea being that there's going to be some um, transportation experiences, I think is how I'm calling it, yeah. to, for teams to get from that location to where the actual racing will uh, start and end. Um, and so that's also why we've got to have all the teams there Tuesday by, like, noon, um, to accommodate this kind of craziness. But it's going to be good because it makes our race a little more uh, accessible to someone who's, say, coming from the metro areas, whether it's Boston or New York. Um, so it's uh, the idea is that on a map, this is going to look not like it's another six hours north at the border of Canada in Maine, in mm. deepest, darkest, nowhere. Um, so. But, yeah, all that uh, is going to go live on the 1st of June.
0: So. Wow. I guess my my guess I don't think is going to come true. I thought they should start at Fenway and have to climb the Green Monster to start. But.
1: Hey, man, that's a great idea. I, yeah. I saw that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. You're not that far off, um, so I will narrow it down and tell you that it's probably within 90 minutes of Fenway. How's hmm. that? Does that help you at all? I don't know how well you know geography. No, you know? I,
0: I don't, so I'm kind of – I I will I will research – and when I do my introduction, because I always do that, like Monday night, I'll I'll guess. So, all
1: right, all right. See, I I would tell you, but I can also hold off because if you can withstand the uh, suspense until next week, <laughs> um, wh- I
0: can't. Uh, yeah, I I'll, yeah I can wait. I want to I want to try and guess. So, I'll draw a circle ninety ninety minutes from Fenway and see how smart I am. So, <laughs> so. Um, That that could be our that could be our uh, our giveaway. So people will have whoever um, we'll say like I'll give them twenty four hours and whoever guesses the closest spot to the start will get them.
1: Well, to the race check in the race check in -in. yes the race star I the race star is definitely not ninety minutes (laughs) from Fenway. Uh, I always think of uh, Dave Lamb who gets sick on long bus rides and I don't think I've had a single race that didn't involve a long bus okay. ride like we had one in Virginia where teams thought the race was starting in, at this Boy Scout camp um, and so everyone showed up like 8.30 in the morning Saturday and then the buses kind of roll in and they didn't realize it's a f- like two hour bus ride west out to Sherando State Park and like the Shenandoahs um, so I don't know. Maybe I've got, like, some something in my contract that says I have to use buses to transport teams at least one way in yeah. <laughs> no a race. But next year will be no exception. <laughs> so, But I usually reserve that first row for, for Dave because I know yeah. how sick he gets. So,
0: well, I think he's – maybe this will bring him out of retirement because I don't think he's raced for a while, has he?
1: Well, no, he's, he's retired after, like, a, a number of races, I think. Yeah. But, no, he raced um, – I think their team – they didn't win at uh the race there in Kentucky, but they finished second okay. with uh Jeff Woods. Um and I forget the other teammates, but Oh no, he's definitely still racing and I think um he's determined to compete next year also. So,
0: well, okay. Yeah, one of those yeah, I've met people like that. Yep. Nope, last one ever again until the next time. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jonathan Neely, he's the one that jumps out at me when you say that because from Naira, I think yeah. he's he officially at the finish line says he's retiring each time, and now it's kind of like a recurring joke. Yeah,
0: it, yeah, must must I must retire? So. Um, what what do you consider a successful race? Because I like I like to know what racers think is successful. So, what has to happen so? Twenty-four hours after the last team finishes, you can say, "Yep, this was this was a good race."
1: Hmm. Yeah, the, um, there's so many levels. I mean, just getting a race course permitted that fits logistically and that's adequately staffed and that's relatively safe and that's you know checks all the boxes. That is a huge accomplishment. And so, just having the the course and the way we like stage a race plan is theoretically, I could just. If I'm you know, struck by lightning or incapacitated or whatever, the race should be able to run itself with what we've set up in terms of staff-wise and uh, all the details we've got spelled out, contingency plans and everything. Um, and so I feel so like just once we get the race kind of started and that set in motion, that's such a satisfying feeling, um, it's kind of like solving a math problem you know that you've been working on like goodwill hunting that guy is up there on the chalkboard working on the math problem yeah. and then he solves it and then he leaves and everyone's like well who solved it well for him the satisfaction was solving it not getting the credit for it i feel a little bit like i have some of that mm. not certainly i'm not a math genius or anything like that but just putting all these moving parts together into a whole like that is great and that's very satisfying but um of course at that finish line having people that uh, you know are smiling and appreciate the fact that what they've done is pretty uh, pretty remarkable and not something they could do just on any other given weekend you know uh, with their friends um, I think that's uh, that goes a long way I never want to see people get seriously injured and we've always knock on wood um, been fairly um, lucky on that front I feel like um, and a lot of that is luck like if someone just happens to take a fall the wrong way they can end up you know with yeah. all sorts of problems but yeah. we've been pretty lucky I think so I definitely don't want anyone to, to come away seriously hurt but uh, uh, if people are still talking about it you know the next the next week or at least talking about certain sections that both they liked and didn't like I really like challenging people's um, perceptions like yeah, you know so in in California i don't know if this is anything big in South Dakota, probably not I'm guessing and there's a little bit of this here in the, in the Northeast, but out in California, there's enough people who do movie like sets and things that there's this like small like upstart business where they do experiential Halloween things where you show up at a uh warehouse um, and you have no idea what you're getting into, and there's someone who kind of greets you and then it's like almost this art type um, installation, and you maybe it's like some like fake. Like zombie thing, and you're like you're actually participating in it. It's got like there's there's a serious psychological aspect to it too, because the idea is that you're supposed to be kind of kind of scared. And sometimes they're more inspirational, but this is like this experiential thing that you go through. And some of them last very long, like overnight. And the sun's coming up the next morning, and you hear you had this. You know, they hire actors to play the different roles, and it can be very expensive. So there's so many similarities. I feel like to adventure racing. Um, Obviously, we're not big on people in like scary masks and things, but it's the similar thing where we're trying to build an experience. I feel like the psychological side of that is important. Um, And so people that come away with, I don't know, maybe a new perspective on, I don't know, whatever it is they're wrestling with in life, you know, it's either, you know, not as hard as whatever they just did, or, you know, they've already done other stuff that's, that's, uh, it's harder than what they just did, uh, that opportunity to hang out with your friends and to overcome adversity, solve problems, and, like, your bike breaks, but you figure out a way to improvise it and to fix it. Like, I think Dart Noon did some phenomenal work on a mountain bike leg at one of our races once using, God, it was some, like, route they found to, like, fix a derailleur or to, like, hold the, like the, uh, like the rear stay in the wheel. There was something like that, but those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Hearing about that, I feel like that's great because they're all we're doing is setting a setting a stage, and then people are making the most of those opportunities and, and coming away with whatever they define as satisfaction. So, yeah. I don't have a great short answer to most questions. No, <laughs> I, I, guess I not tonight. no, I but, love that. But there's so many levels. Yeah. there's so many levels that the the sport works at, and that to me, it's like the the beauty of it, right? Like it's just. Uh, uh, you're, really a satisfying thing.
0: Yeah. Your your goal is to challenge people.
1: Yeah, but and it's not just physical. Either. Yeah, no no like, that's yeah. like like so you so they're gonna show up next year to a location southern <laughs> southern New Hampshire. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And um where the actual race is gonna be is totally different and they're not gonna know. Yeah. They're not gonna know. Um and they may not know even when they get on the buses. And that's intentional, and, like, everything is super, like, kind of intentional and planned like that. I feel like there's – like, the racing starts, like, well before the actual, you know, starting gun goes off. I feel too many events – like, take it for granted. They don't have either good, you know, pre-race materials or good race uh, website or good race communications. I think probably that's improved quite a bit since we last planned a race. But, like, the race for a lot of people starts the second they see your site, and then the second they engage with it. And the way that they – you know, are imagining themselves, you know, competing in it and the information that they get, like is this adding to the experience because the race experience is not just those four or five days when you're in the woods, it's, it's both long before and long after.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the race starts June 1st for most people (laughs) Mm -hmm. of this year. Yeah. Um, All right. Right. So I just got two questions. One will be short. One might be a little longer, but and i guess you maybe sort of answered this but do you feel good about the interest of the race coming back i mean personally oh, does that sure. really I, get make like wow that's pretty cool
1: yeah that's that's super satisfying i feel like um now now i feel like the pressure's on me to live up to those expectations yeah. <laughs> right like it's all. You're always perfect if you never come back. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's true. You just go out, go out on a high note, yep. like John Elway winning winning the Super, Super Bowl. He never came back, yep. but, uh, well, I guess uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. So I feel like uh, there's still more, more racing to, to do, more stories to tell. So but yeah, way. absolutely. Good. It's really satisfying, and it's
0: a great feeling. Good. I'm glad you answered that honestly. Um, okay, the last question. Are we going to have a seaplane at the start? <laughs>
1: <laughs> are you volunteering if there if there is an opportunity? Well,
0: you know, I'm, it's kind of a tradition. Well, let's see. Yeah, I think what is it? Three times makes it a tradition. So one more will be three. I
1: will say that I will say that I have uh, historically liked a water start because it lets you focus. If teams are on a dangerous stretch of water, you've got them all there mm-hmm. for a fixed semi fixed uh, duration, right? Yeah. So easier to control and easier from an outfitter standpoint, you don't have to babysit a bunch, you know, hundred boats or whatever. Yeah. Um, the teams may or may not make it to in a day or two days. So yeah. but I yeah, I won't promise that we have a seaplane or <laughs> anything. But so, well. <laughs> we have plenty of surprises. This year we do have uh, we're gonna have real kayaks, so yeah. not sit on top, not inflatable um a combination tandem and um solo kayaks Mm -hmm. and then there'll also be a canoe full canoe paddling Canadian canoe leg too
0: um
1: so we're not having any pack rafting but we figure we're making up for that with uh some variety of of other boats
0: Um, okay I lied one technical question how many how many teams can you take
1: yeah, um, that's a great question. I guess to think about. <laughs> I'm more worried about what's the minimum <laughs> it takes for us to meet that 120,000 <laughs> budget. Uh, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, it's probably I would say 40 to 45. Yeah. There are some some other um, concerns um, without giving anything away. So Southern Traverse, that's a, a race super famous mm-hmm. out of New Zealand before God's Own. And obviously, that's the race that captivated my imagination, like in 2002, that I thought I wanted to do. Um, So that uh, race director, Jeff Hunt, he got permits for caving in his race, but the permit was only for like 20 racers. And when he was putting this together, he was like, oh, there's no way 20 teams are going to make this time cut off. And I'm like, wow, oh, you bastard Like this uh, I learned this uh second hand like years of course later. And of course, like very few teams made the cutoff, so very few teams did the uh the caving angle. But um to me that was like oh like such a uh, I don't know disappointment to feel like <laughs> yeah, like here here's a race that I'd held up in such high esteem and it turns out like oh maybe maybe it's not quite so deserved I have no idea how that's relevant to what we were just talking about but it popped into my head so, so I thought uh, I'd share that
0: yeah well good I like what pops into your head so
1: <laughs> you know what Randy before we wrap up yeah. I did I feel like we should. Like, your your podcast, I feel like it's like a call to action we can make for people because, like, I've gotten active in my community in, like, the Open Lands Commission in our town. And I feel like I would love to go to make a permit pitch to some jurisdiction somewhere, someday, and there actually to be somebody who kind of knows, like, what the sport is about. <laughs> I feel like that would be such a win, and I feel like that's a way we can maybe, like, infiltrate and subvert if people get a little more active in those whether it's a conservation group or it's amazing how many conservation groups are going to decline a special use permit just because they don't understand what you're doing and they think yeah. we're running out there with torches and, um, you know, they just don't understand. Yeah. so I feel like one way is for us to actually get out there and, and volunteer for some of these things. Yeah. Um, and in a perfect world, we'd all have infinite time and we could do, you know, could do all this great stuff, but if you find to find like one way of, of doing something that makes uh makes a better name for the sport and helps people to understand that hey, this isn't just some you know I don't know crazy kids out there making with, a uh, mess. Pitchforks. Well, then you've done yeah, exactly yeah.
0: I mean you've put your money where your mouth is because you've always had conservation projects that uh, in the middle of the race, which which which. Has always been with part of the flow of the race, and that's hard.
1: Yeah, that's it's not easy to do, and sometimes it's kind of hokey. Um, but yeah, um, so you know the guy, Raid Galois, founder uh, Gerard Fusil. He mm-hmm. when he lost the contract for a Raid. He um, started this, this other event that was really focused on a lot of conservation challenges, like building schools. And so the, each team, the, the onus was on the team to figure out what they were going to do in Fiji or, or wherever they were. And it wasn't a great model because a lot of people are like, well, shoot, I'll just bring a bunch of, I don't know, what's the lightest thing I can pack with me, <laughs> bring uninflated soccer balls and give those to schools. So I think the teams kind of ended up doing that sort of thing. But that was part of my inspiration, like, well, how can we fold in a little more? into the race without asking teams to do too much. And so we try and walk that line, yeah. whether it's, you know, clearing new trails or building bog bridges uh, through swamps. or I, I think my favorite is in Virginia we had a race where we were paddling the James River, and that river was so polluted. When we were scouting it, we found, you know, so many tires in the river. So we thought, hey, why don't we just have every team pull a tire out? And uh, I think you get, like, a 30-minute time credit, you know, for your tire. Um, limit though of only one and every team came out with a tire which is both sad <laughs> and uh, inspiring but and some teams came out with multiple tires which goes to show you and that was a pretty big race it was probably 50 teams so that's a lot of pollution that you know this event can clean up and at the end then we have this big stack of tires we can get photos with and that'll help make our cause easier when we go next time to talk to somebody about you know what we're trying to do yeah so you're right that's uh something to, to consider
0: all right uh, one last thing, as I always say all the time. Let's have a navigation section where everybody in the team has to navigate a little bit. I love that part.
1: Oh, the uh, orienteering relay? Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, anyway, actually, there's an opportunity. We could do a uh, mountain bike uh, relay. Uh, so it would be not on foot, but on mountain bike. So, um, I love that part. Individual. <laughs> Why do you like it?
0: Um, because it stressed people out so much because you know some of the teams had one navigator i mean i remember watching them telling all right you run 100 meters this way and then you know they're trying to describe the whole course to somebody on their team well before Mm -hmm. they take off and i i remember following one i don't i don't have no idea who it was and i ended up I had to turn around and go back because I knew I could see how frustrated she was getting because she had no idea where she was going. And, and I knew that having somebody filming her made her more frustrated. But I I just love that. This, the, the, the stress and the, it just was such a cool part of the race. And it, it gave people a chance to like recover and be a little social too. So that was a bonus.
1: Yeah, that was my unexpected like benefit. Like, there's a big bonfire. Yeah. I mean, it's been different each time, but like, if you time it in the in the race at the right time, it'll be an actual social opportunity. All these people get together. And there's never a time to to talk. Well, if it's early enough in the race that you're not all exhausted yeah. and you're not separated by four hours, you could uh, you can do that. Catch up while your team goes out and does a little navigating, and well, it was nice of you not to. Focus in on. I suspect the Eco Challenge film crews would not be so no, um, no understanding. No.
0: So, <laughs> All right. Um, is the hockey game over?
1: No, it's double. Or no, it's overtime. Uh, no. So. All right. <laughs> um, you know, one other thing yeah. to, to close out, Randy. Uh, not to steal your podcast. Go but, right uh, ahead. I would say like, another thing. Another thing that people can do besides like that call to action would be like be enthusiastic. Like, don't be shy about like the sport or you know, feel like we're like embarrassed about it or like your podcast should not, should not have one review <laughs> on iTunes. Like I don't use iTunes, I've got some other yeah. whatever. And I guess I can only review it probably once anyway. But like seriously, that doesn't cost people anything. There's no excuse for it not to and that's gonna help you then get sponsors. I feel like we could do the same then with like race like organizers. There's a great tradition, um Alex Provost and his other teammates, um, Jean Eves and uh Oh, I'm forgetting these names because it's been so long. But anyway, they always bring like maple syrup, Canadian maple syrup, to every race to give to the race directors. Yeah. I think that's so nice. That's yeah. so thoughtful. I feel like if people did that, like we tip five bucks at the bus when you eat, someone helps us with our luggage you know, when I go to to Logan, yeah. I feel like, you know, what if, uh, I'm not looking, you know, for myself, I'm thinking for everybody, what if every team did a little something, just a nice gesture to show your appreciation more. I feel like so many, you know, people take it for granted that what people are up to with the sport is this, um, it's not triathlon and it's not like some big business that's been sponsored up the wazoo. In fact, it's just the opposite. So a little bit of, uh, Maybe gratitude for all the people who are out there doing stuff such as yourself, I think that could go a long way and it's gonna help help you, you know, some week when you feel like, Oh, I don't know if I really mm-hmm. want to do this podcast, but hey, if you know that there's people out there that are supportive yeah. and um, helping you to you know, kinda of nurture what you're up to, I feel like that can go a long way. So let's get off our butts. Well, it's kinda of like that pep talk. Yeah. When you're when you're thinking you want to drop out of the race, I feel like people should put this on repeat. I, and, uh, I will I and, will, and will and say when you're dead.
0: Yeah. That that did happen last fall when I wanted to go to Worlds and I did a GoFundMe, and and it and it funded in like three days. So that's that. Thank that's my thank you from everybody that listens because I know that's where it came from. So they, they do, but that's awesome. It's uh you know you're you're staying at a hotel before a race. You know, go down to the lobby and tell them thank you for letting you muddy all their towels.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Or at the balsams. I oh, remember geez. the team, like, tuning tuning their mountain bikes yeah. <laughs> after the race in, like, this $300 a night hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So oh, Sorry, Randy. Or, so there's lots of memories.
0: Or uh, at Apex where everybody immediately finished the race and went in the hot tub.
1: Yeah, that was the nasty <laughs> hot tub. And, you know, the Swiss are so anal about, like, yeah. hygiene and things. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So, but moral of the story is, yeah, folks, bring maple syrup to your race directors. There That's I think the go. key takeaway.
0: Cool. All right, we um, we need to do this again in about six months.
1: Well, hopefully by then I have more to share with you. Like I'm meeting with uh, a sponsor tomorrow, and it's like every day mm-hmm. there's new stuff. I was hoping to knock a little more down before we had a chance to talk, but June first, man, came up a lot quicker than I yeah. thought. So, absolutely, so. love to talk with you. All right, well. Happy for the exposure, too. So appreciate all your help. You're welcome.
0: Go watch the hockey game.
1: (laughs) All right, man. Take care, Randy. All
0: right, thanks. Bye.
2: Come on, man.